Meatloaf and Mayberry meets matcha and man buns. Today we're talking about the rise of hipsterbia. I'm Chaz, he's Brett, and this is The Furious Curious. Well, more millennials are settling down in the suburbs, but they still want the amenities of big city life. It's called a hipsterbia or a millennial style suburb. The new trend is in response to more young people moving away from the cities as their lifestyles change. Title was Hipsterbia. It kind of sounds like a new Netflix thriller. But they didn't want automobiles. They finished college. They went right into the city. They wanted to live, work, and play in the city. Well, the cities in many cases, New York, Chicago, LA, Philadelphia, Washington, are so expensive now that they've had to move. Also, mm -hmm. some are getting married, a lot are getting married, some are having children. So hipsterbia, Brett. Hipsterbia, Chaz. This is crazy. This is talk were to you, me. You told me about this yesterday. Uh, I was not familiar with the term. So you, you want to talk to me about the genesis of the term? Well, I think like so. We had you and I had talked about this rise, this movement towards the suburbs. A lot of people moving out of the cities. We'll discuss why that is. But yeah, just um, why that was happening. And and then we realized it was like, oh, this, it was originally going to be like, you know, we were going to talk about like revenge of the suburbs, right? This was going to be revenge of the suburbs. And then we realized, oh, there, there's something like a little bit deeper than that, right? There's something, what is actually happening here? This is not just the mom and dad, ver you know, the the yuppie 80s version of, of going back to the suburbs. There's something more here. So we started to dig. And you and I were talking back and forth and we realized, oh, this is a particular phenomenon of millennials going from the cities who in the working centers of the cities now having families and now moving out to, um, to the suburbs. So in, yes, in, in, in 2013, Alex Williams at the New York times, he, he dropped this article called creating hipsterbia. And from there, it's really when this kind of handle caught on and people started to write all sorts of stuff about it, as, as you mentioned. But yeah, I mean, we'll we'll discuss the reasons, the rising housing costs, the exodus of uh, just being priced out, you know, the, the causing strains uh, with employments, all this stuff. You know, this millennial Mayberry is what it's also called, uh, is, is a phenomenon. And that's just why we're talking about it today. So yeah, I mean, that's really what... That's the, that, that is hipsterbia. It is, it is our, our, you know, the, the, the generation of millennials, roughly, I want to say 20, 25 to about 39 moving out to the suburbs. And there's a confluence of reasons, which we'll get into, uh, for why that is. Yeah, no, totally. And just, uh, last year, actually PWC identified this, uh, as a growing trend. So they used the term that was first coined in that 2013 New York times article, and you said hipsterbia, which they defined as quote unquote cool suburbs with vibrant downtowns that offer walkability, public transport, and a variety of restaurants, retail, and recreation. Now, there's a number of, I guess, numbers that support a lot of this, um, yeah. you know, this, I guess, mass exodus to the suburbs, as you called it. Uh, if you look at you know, some estimates by 2025, the population in the suburbs will exceed those in urban centers for the first time. Wow. So as a result, like developers and, um, you know, town planners, you know, re, 
you know, reimagining what it means to live in a suburb. What does a downtown in a suburb looks like? Yeah. I think we're also seeing things like um, the US Census Bureau last year like identified the fact that 27,000 millennials between the ages of 25 and 39 left big cities like New York, SF, Houston for greener and less expensive pastures. Are other cities to lose big numbers, Chicago, Las Vegas, Washington, D.C., and Portland, Oregon. So I think we are seeing this is not just at the very top tier cities. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. sort of the mid-tier cities as well. The people mm-hmm. are saying, look, I, I enjoy living in the city. That's fine. But guess what? I can have all the amenities and be a little further out uh, and save a lot of money and, and probably peace of mind as well. Yeah. So the, um, and we'll get into, there's a great institute. It's uh, the Rice Kinder Institute for Urban Studies. They, they say this quote, live, work, play lifestyle and good jobs motivated millennials to move to downtowns to, to these big cities that we're talking about, or even to the sub, even to the medium sized cities as they grow their families and long for cheaper living. Many millennials or hipsters are finding suburbs to fit their lifestyle motivations called hipsterbia. So this is what this kind of gets us right into that. Those five reasons why. Sure. So you want to kick it off the the five reasons why? I mean, uh, the number one reason, you know, is certainly the elephant in the room. And uh, we're calling this um, priced out parenthood or affordability. Yeah. Now, there has been for the longest time the creeping, as they called it, Manhattanization of seven-figure real estate prices. Uh, Now, a lot of people have talked about this for many years. A a good example recently was uh, Scott Galloway, who's a New York Times professor. He he had an anecdote where he talked about his first house in San Francisco in 1994, costing $285,000. Wow. And the household income at the time was 210 grand. Now, the average house in San Francisco now costs 1.6 mil, and the household income was 320,000 thousand dollars now this is yielding a ratio of five so housing is almost four times the cost i'm not sure exactly how he's calculated the numbers but he's basically said it is prohibitively expensive for young people to want to get quote unquote a starter home uh and you know and live in the city it just seems to be almost out of reach have you got any thoughts on that well i mean we talk about starter homes but you know you just bought Danielle Steele's mansion in Pacific Heights, which I find incredible. I don't know where you get this. I thought what's we were splitting this both ways. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> what's that word? I mean, like, you know, it's got to be, it's right at the top of Pack Eyes, right? Yeah. And it's a city block. I don't know what it, what it is, but uh, anyway, thank, congrats on your, your story. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate yeah, it. I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, can can no, you come over and prune the hedges while I'm yeah, at it? Of course, for right. 10 bucks, 10 bucks an hour. No, uh, 15. Minimum. Okay. Thank right. you. That's, sure. that's nice. No, I think, you know, you're getting, getting into this New York times article because this is all before a lot of these other reasons started to kick off. So this is back in 2013. So these things were brewing and kind of stewing uh, and it didn't really traject like the way it is now until, uh, until COVID, which we'll get into, but just going into that, that, that article a little deeper, Chaz, like, you know, the, the creating hipsterbia article, like this woman, you know, the creative, it was really the creative class, the creative professional class, those who really need art and culture to inform their everyday work, right? They're, and, and are of child rearing age. This was the, this was the predicament they were in. They wanted to live in these cities that had culture. They want to be around that energy, but they're having kids. And how do you even, if it's a two bedroom, 
you know, and you both work, that's fine. But now you have kids and now that's expensive and housing is now more expensive and your rent's getting more expensive and you can't buy a house. So you can't really drop roots and then school is expensive. So it just started to pile up. Right. So for example, in this article, um, this woman, Marie, she's, uh, she, she makes artisanal vegan soap, no more and no less. Uh, <laughs> but, um, she recently, they, her and her, uh, her partner recently moved to Westchester County. And she says, I don't need to be in Brooklyn. I'm going to bring Brooklyn with us. And I think that is to me, that's the attitude, the millennial attitude that I think is different from, I think our, the previous generation when they moved to the suburbs, when they moved to the suburbs, it was to get out of somewhere. This is to actually just create something somewhere else. And I think that's what I really love about this. And I think that's why it looks very different for this generation. And we'll get into that more. But um, also like, you know, a graphic designer in New York, and so a lot of these are New Yorkers, but this woman, um, Emily uh, Dodswick, I'm going to say her name. She moved to, they moved to Hastings. Her and her husband moved to Hastings, which I think is outside of New York. Um, she knew it was time to decamp. Uh, for the suburbs when they found themselves trying to stay sane, raising two young kids as rooftop parties thumped uh, in the ceiling uh, this in their Williamsburg apartment uh, until 3 a.m. on like a weekday. So I think what we're starting to see is one, it's like it's loud, it's noisy, big businesses, you know, the, some of these places, these these lofts, like, for example, in Williamsburg, formerly, you know, formerly filled with baristas and, and bass players, musicians, artists now are selling to Goldman Sachs bankers for the excess of one million. So I think like that's really that's part of it is the is the price out but the price out is just that one piece right the price out is also is it affordable to have a family in the city anymore yeah i mean the only part of that i take umbrage with is the fact that a bass player could live in a loft it, it doesn't seem very plausible uh, where do they live basements <laughs> <laughs> right. I didn't see that one coming. Oh, no, zinger! I got yeah. you. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I also think I don't know why this makes sense because uh, this, you know, triggered this memory for me. But if you look at uh, you know reality bites, and there was this sort of dissolute mm. Gen Xer, and then oh, I yeah. saw a, a documentary the other day. It was like a Gen X documentary. Was saying you know when when music festivals started happening and a lot of these people of a certain age still continue to do that. And I don't want to call it extended adolescence, but maybe there was that momentum put in place when you see Gen X. They didn't have to be leave it to Beaver, live in the live in the suburbs, 2.3 kids. There was this sort of, yeah, I might do it, but I'm going to do it on my terms. Yeah. And that quote that you sort of cited is like, growing up doesn't mean getting old. Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. something um, really quite refreshing and empowering about that because I, I feel like a lot of the time people are like, okay, well, move to the suburbs. I got to like, you know, buy some pleated chinos and, you know, <laughs> let my beer gut grow out and start wearing a visor and dad shoes and, you know, all the memes that we have now. Right. But I do think it's like you can be a hype beast when as you get older. <laughs> and uh -huh. it's, not always, it's not advisable for everyone, but it, you still can be in tune with culture and have a have a zeal for life. Just because you're sort of moving out to the suburbs doesn't mean you're missing out on a lot of the opportunity of living in the modern world. So oh, yeah. I, I think that's um you know th that that's really what when you when you described some of those quotes that jumped out to me. Um so on to the well, number, I, I was gonna you go. say I was gonna say well one I, I agree with you and I think we're we're gonna see why 
it's possible now to have culture anywhere. And we'll get into that in, 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 a, in a reason in, in a second. But I totally agree with that. And I, and I think what you're getting at is this isn't some sort of settle or resignation of a life. This is This is the next chapter for them. This is not viewed as well, okay, well, we tried it, you know, couldn't do it here. We're going to, we're going to go somewhere else. I don't feel, it doesn't feel like a resignation to me, our, our generation, you know, and maybe, maybe past generations, it was just like, well, this is, this is the next stage at face value. It looks like a negative thing. It's like, oh, people are just kind of like giving up and throwing up their hands and just get, get moving to the suburbs. And I don't think it's that way at all. I think like, to your point, there's a, there's a zeal and an optimism about, about a next chapter. Um, but I was just going to say, like, it reminded me of when I was at a different agency, I was talking to a freelance designer and he, we got into this conversation about, you know, the cost of schools in the Bay area and all this stuff. And he was saying that to get his now born daughter in an elementary school, he, they had to put money down to get on a list, even on, for a school, even before she was conceived, not before she was born, mm. but before she was even a entity in the universe, <laughs> you know, and I just found that quite, quite remarkable, actually quite sad, actually, like, you know, anyway, I just found that I found that incredible. And, you know, I think what you're also getting at is the millennials are not just, you know, they're, they're, they're flocking to Frisco, Texas, they're flocking to Florida, you know, uh, these, some of these, some of these places are not exactly what you would think as title places where it's like, oh, this is cool. It's not, it's not like Bend, Oregon or something like that. This is something a little bit different than that. Not exactly household names, but some of these destinations are growing really, really fast. And it feels like this back to the city trend that we've talked about is, is now, is now reversing. Yeah. Well, that sort of leads into the, the n number two reason why, which we identified as millennials are now richer frankly. I mean, I don't want to say richer, yeah. but they've been in the workforce for a period. They're, they're probably of the home buying age. They are sort of this, we are part of this generation, but this, it's not an inaccurate representation to say that millennials fancy themselves as perhaps a little hipper than Gen X. You know, intelligent people can agree or disagree on that one. But I do think uh, they're in a place to, you know, if they haven't had their kids already, they might want to start about thinking about having kids, moving to a place where they can uh, buy a house that's within reach or within striking distance mm -hmm. of a meaningful larger metropolis where they can sort of have career opportunities. At the same yeah. time, have a bit of room where they can play because guess what? They're not raving on a Tuesday night. So I think that the fact <laughs> right. that they're in a better financial position is perhaps one of the reasons uh, this sea change or or mass exodus is taking place. Yeah, I think this Bryce Kinder Institute for Urban Research, like I mentioned before, they were saying the recent and not maybe not so recent, but relatively recent, you know, positive economy and employment. Millennials, they they have a little bit more money. They're not necessarily tied down to downtowns for good jobs, as we'll get into. Um, they have a little bit more flexibility with cost of living. They live generally a little bit cheaper just in mm. terms of their lifestyle, but they will be paying more than baby boomers for their first home. But, um, and it says 39% more, but evidently that is still cheaper and more practical than the, than the rent that they're paying right now. So they have the money, but they want to put it to, to use and not just burn it up with, with high rent, uh, in a city. I think that's, that's what we're starting to see the shift in. Yeah. That might, that makes sense. I mean, so on to number three, yeah. We're calling this the internetification 
of the world. Now you can of be cult- there. Internetification of the of culture or the of world. culture, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there yeah. are many ways to be plugged into culture at large without having to be into a city in, in a city, living in a city. In yeah. past years, you sort of had to be in close proximity to a to a certain community in right. order to engage within that community. That is not the case at all. There are many ways, as many platforms, as many yeah. avenues that you can be part of an online community or a brick and mortar community. <laughs> brick and mortar. Real world community mm-hmm. uh, without having to be physically in that space. So I think it allows people a bit more, I guess, free reign to determine where they want to live and not feel like they're shackled to one particular metro area. You have any thoughts? Yeah, on that? I think that's it. It's, you know, I think in the past it was, you, you know, to really feel, to really absorb some of the aspect of, of art and culture. I had to move to New York. I had to move to Brooklyn. I had to move to Los Angeles. I had to move to San Francisco. I had to move to Chicago. And I think as, as more and more culture and some of that is online, we can port that into our lives wherever we are. We don't have to be quote, you know, where the action is, you know, we don't have to, we no longer have to live where the action is to absorb some of that culture. We can be, like you said, a hype beast anywhere. And we can, we can express ourselves to other people from anywhere. And I think that's, I think the internet has now finally allowed us to move towards the physical place to now have communities, culture that live online and don't necessarily have to, you know, it'll never replace, like you said, the brick and mortar communities end quote, but like it is increasingly more rich to, to be, to do this online, to be able to do this online. So I don't think that that connection of like, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to miss out on things if I don't live in that city anymore. You know, some of the stuff from the city they're taking, they're taking it online so they can continually experience that the stuff that they're making, they're, they're porting to their, their own communities and in the suburbs. And it, it seems to be working. Sure. Well, that, it's a nice segue into number four in the yeah. calling the, the fact that the workplace has adapted. Now, if you yeah. think of you know the technology that has enabled us to largely work from many many places, you know, COVID is the elephant in every room right now. It is the, the great accelerator uh, that has, I guess, distaboo. Is that a word? I don't think it is, but made working from home less taboo. Uh-huh. And yeah. I think that that for at least a period is here to stay who knows how long that is going to be here to stay mm-hmm. but at the same time in the in the meantime people are certainly looking to take uh, whatever you know salary they they you know salary they make and, and then mm-hmm. move to a remote area where they can actually sort of enjoy the benefits of a more peaceful life so yeah. i think as as this becomes more widely accepted i think we're going to see uh, certainly more hipsterby hipsterbs uh, emerge. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I mean, larger companies, and this was happening anyway, even before COVID, but this, incre- and we talked about this with remote work, just to hyperlink to another episode here, but you know, larger companies or more companies allowing, like you said, Chad, like this work from home, potentially this work from home indefinitely. And even like, you know, for example, like Facebook, you know, recently announced that they're going to open up some satellite or some smaller offices uh, in places like Atlanta, where now you don't have to live in the Bay Area to, to work for Facebook. Now you can either work from anywhere or in, in, in other, you know, potential circumstances, you have, you know, you can go to a satellite office and live like in the Sun Belt, for example. Workplaces allow that flexibility. I think along with that, going back to this Institute for uh, Urban Research from the uh, from from Rice Kinder, I'm going to quote here because it, it does talk about something else here. Like back to the, uh, the Rice Kinder Institute for Urban Research, uh, they were saying, uh, to keep up with the trends, 
there will be a few implications uh, with the draw of millennials to suburbs, according to Karen Harris here. She was the uh, managing director at, at Bain Macro Trends. She says that while distance has changed with the help of technology, moving information more cheaply and efficiently, businesses will potentially need to adjust with more locations or smaller offices, like I just said, to lessen the commuting times for millennials who've reported high displeasure for driving than other generations. So not only that, it's like, hey, I want to move to the suburbs, but I don't really want to be driving like yeah. I was normally driving. So I think there's another, I think that feeds into the work from home thing. Oh, okay. You know, maybe you go two days a week in the office and then you can work from home for the rest of it. And now that we're more adapt, adapting to that possibility of working from home more often, it seems to all fit into these reasons why. You know, that, that's actually fascinating because, you know, I, I'm a foreigner. I, I've lived, you know, here a long time, 13 years. Yeah. Um, and I'm from a town, you know, Perth on the west coast of Australia without the greatest public transport. It's, you know, very sprawled around. So in that sense, it kind of does feel like an American city. But if you look at other cities around the world, like, you know, whether it's London, Paris, uh, you know, Tokyo, a, lo a lot of these places, like the main arteries, yeah. the, the public transport is like <laughs> the lifeblood of the city. Right. It's not just, um, you know, the poor people who take it. It's sort of, you know, millionaires and billionaires. It's, it's what they do, right? And right. the only real American city you could say that's true for is, uh, is New York. Yeah. Like this is a drive. You need a car in this country to get around. Yeah. And, yeah. and if we're looking at people who have – I didn't really think about that, but as the quote you mentioned, the higher displeasure in driving than any other generation. Guess what? These suburbs have got to become a little nicer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if people are going to be way out in the, you know, I don't want to say the sticks, but you know, the, in the one of these hipsters, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to be <laughs> like they don't want to feel like they're sacrificing any quality of life. So they're right. going to want they're going to want those places to be to be nicer. So that's a nice segue yeah. into number five: the city and urban. Suburban planning has adapted. Yes, yes. Um, so you, you no yeah. longer have to take the L train to experience this a slice of the cosmopolitan Bohemia, right, Chad? <laughs> yes. I don't know where. I, I don't know who just infiltrated your body. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, was that was that Alphonse? I think so. That was Alphonse. Your, yeah. your alter ego. One of oh, my right. multiple personalities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, basically, this is giving rise to a better designed urban centers where we have yes. trendier restaurants in yep. doors, not the, the sort of the cookie cutter, big box uh, macaroni grill, as you described it earlier, uh, of the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, no longer the Cheesecake Factory and Dick's Sporting Goods, you know, in every, right? I think like, and by the way, I love Macaroni Grill. Oh, uh, I love the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. <laughs> we love it all. But to your point, I think that is not what the millennials want. They don't want that. Well, I'll just, re I'll just read this. So the Institute for uh, Urban Research, like I mentioned before, uh, from Rice Kinder, they say increasingly armed with amenities like trendy restaurants, independent stores and craft beer bars places like you know around houston for example are quickly becoming a draw for millennials uh the urban land institute is reporting a 10.8 percent growth in millennial population in places like houston between 2010 and 2015 so this has already happened yeah. so i think this idea of developers are responding to this demand of a more transit oriented walkable community and downtown and walkable you know, don't necessarily have to be the same thing. People want walkable. They want, they, they don't, you know, they don't necessarily need the, the huge urban town centers, but they need something 
that has that sense of it, that has that sense of community. And, you know, that's a little bit of a sense of a, a urban life, a public life. I think that's what millennials don't necessarily want to let go. And I think most suburbs just at face value, you know, it's, it's mall parking lots. It's not really a, a vibrant downtown. They want these little vibrant downtowns. Um, and I was thinking to myself, like, you know, I, I used to work, I used to, sorry, I used to live in um, Madison, Wisconsin. And my parents lived in um, Middleton, Wisconsin, which is a little suburb outside of Madison. And just seeing them, you know, they lived there for 10 years, but just seeing over time, Middleton had a little downtown and it was like, you know, it, it was pretty, pretty kind of like whatever for a while. And then it got very, uh, like over time, it totally got redone and there was an urban center and then there was these, you know, small locally owned places and Middleton, Wisconsin went from this kind of sleepy little downtown to a really cool place. There's this place called long table. There's, there's a, there's a men's, uh, there's a men's boutique clothing store. It just, it just really trans it, it's really this particular model, like being, being actually, uh, done in real time. So seeing that was, was really, really cool. So this is, I'm glad you brought my attention to this because it's sort of something that had been, I guess, in the back of my mind for a while, just because, you know, this is sort of the, the type of life change that I've been entertaining making for a while. Sure. Um, and, and you definitely see it. And, and, and in many respects, it, it, it's a reimagination of what, you know, we hold important in a modern society. Like, yeah, we don't all want to be sort of jam packed on top of each other, at the same time, we don't want to compromise for the nice things about being in a city. You know, mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, like growing up doesn't mean getting old. And I think, uh, you know, the more places can embrace this sort of, I guess, I don't want to say highbrow, but perhaps just overall more like nicer, you know, quality of life. I, I think, you know, people are going to appreciate it. It's probably going to make for a more equitable, accessible way of life versus you know everyone packed into sardines in in sort of overcrowded cities yeah totally which is a nice segue into the number one number six reason why uh bonus. yeah bonus. It, you know covid and civil unrest I, I think with covid you know we've talked about it on, on a range of different pods it's an accelerator of many i guess movements that have been percolating yet just needed a bit of a shot in the arm to actually sort of you know, skyrocket into the mainstream. And I mm -hmm. think in this environment, you know, people living in the cities, you know, considering perhaps making a move out to the, uh, and hipsterb. Mm -hmm. And then they're realizing, guess what? When everyone's piled on top of each other and I don't have the opportunity to go out or the, or the freedom to go out as much as I want, yeah. people are starting to think, is the juice worth the squeeze? And <laughs> I think uh, in a lot of cases, the answer is, no, it's not. Like living yeah. on top of each other is not great. We're clearly in some politically uh, very divided times. You know, um, activism, for better or worse, is, is sort of more prevalent. There's more marches than there's ever been. People are more civically engaged, which is great in one, re one respect. It also does make life um, more challenging for people mm -hmm. that live in those areas. And, you know, certainly with young kids, that does become, um, you know, that does become challenging if you, if you want people exposed to a lot, a lot of, you know, certain a lot of people in close proximity and just the, I guess the low, the slow burn mm -hmm. of, uh, of COVID. It's just, yeah. there's no real end in sight. I mean, you know, obviously when, when there is a, uh, when there is a vaccine, sure, but it's hard to know what to believe on around that in terms of the, the estimates for when that will happen. There was an interesting quote here, uh, from Ian Bogost in the Atlantic. I'll just read a little oh, yeah. bit of this. There was always comfort to be found in a big house on a plot of land that's your own. 
the relief is even more soothing with the pandemic bearing down on you. Now, as the coronavirus graduates from acute terror to long-term malaise, urbanites are trapped in small apartments with little or no outdoor space, reliant on mass transit that now seems less like a public service and more like a rolling petri dish. So I think that does... I guess, encapsulate why people, you know, why, why COVID is affecting city dwellers in a negative way. And mm-hmm. I do think it, it's just really that it's helping provide the impetus for this move that probably would have otherwise happened, but a few years down the road. To put a Malcolm Gladwell on it, uh, it it's a tipping point. I think there were, there was these things, all the other things we talked about, the, you know, the, the issues with pricing, affordability of living, not wanting to commute, you know, all these other reasons were kind of brewing internetification of, of, of culture, pricing of schools, um, all this stuff was like kind of brewing. But then when COVID hit, it was like the thing that really tipped it. And it was like, you know, I think about, I just put myself, I'm not a parent, but I put myself in, in, in a parent's position where it's like, okay, I'm working from home. I'm paying through my nose on rent. We're living on top of each other. Mm. I don't need to, why do I need to be here? You know, and then, and then, and there's, there's retail stores getting, getting, you know, their windows smashed in. Why do I need to be, why do I need to do this anymore? Like maybe I can do something different now. And that's a, that's a very legitimate, very practical, very logical flow of thought. If you think about it. Yeah, no, no question. So I, I, I totally agree with that. It's like, it comes back to, is it worth it? And for right. some of the time, yeah, it is. But in times of more uncertainty, uh, yeah, it's probably not great, especially for people, you know, considering having children. So just to recap the five reasons why, in this case, these six reasons why. Number one, priced out parenthood uh, or affordability. Number two, millennials are making more money now. They're in a position to move. Number three, the internetification of culture. Number four, the fact that the workplace has adapted. Number five, city and suburban planning has adapted also. And number six, Number and six, COVID. COVID and civil unrest. Yes. And they are the six reasons why today. Boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. So I'm listening to Yacht Rock. I'm just going to pull all these together, some of our episodes. Okay. I'm listening to Yacht Rock. I'm wearing normal clothes. I live in the suburbs. I have kids. I have a car. How are we different from our parents? Uh. Tattoos. That's it. Yeah. It's the tattoos it's, and the man bun. There's no, the kidding. ink. There's the man bun. I think there's general wokeness. There are many ways that we're different. I think you know we're more uh, we're more connected. Yes. You know, the internet is a great connector of us across yes. different countries and time zones and cultures. There is definitely a difference. I, the difference is is it's not it's not necessarily you know it's not a resignation. It's a, it's a, it's a next chapter like we talked about. But I think like what'll be interesting to me is millennials. The millennial position ten years ago when they were in their early twenties or even in their teens, that urban sprawl was bad. Expanding your carbon footprint was bad. Mm. Having a lot, having a big house with stuff was bad. Having things was bad. And I think as we move into, as they move into an adulthood that they maybe looked at their parents at that chapter with contempt and judgment, it'll be interesting to see how, how, you know, the things that you just talked about in terms of how we are now more environmentally conscious, how we want to actually bring culture to something, how we, how we value independently owned businesses, you know, how we are, you know, wanting to limit our carbon footprint to not live in, in an urban sprawl, 
to not be part of a problem of just endless, you know, suburban development that's eating up farmland. All those things, you know, that that's within the tension of living in the suburbs, generally speaking. So it'll be interesting to see how our generation, how millennials in, in, in particular, how how these hipsters who are moving to the suburbs, these hipsters, you know, how millennials moving to the suburbs will reconcile these two things and how they will come up with ideas and how those ideas will be reflected in a suburban environment will be interesting to me to see how that works. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. There was a, there was a really good quote. I I can't try. I'm going to track it down here. I just saw it. Uh, Here it is. Suburbia is where the developer bulldozes out the trees that names the streets after them. (laughs) <laughs> I thought that was quite a good one. That's like a man called Bill Vaughn just That's in my funny. research yesterday. And I do think there is that. You know, we are just more enlightened now than we perhaps were in the past in terms of what our carbon footprint is, you know, the destructive nature of what some of these sort of uh, developments could could create. So I, I think it, it's sort of we're in this sort of happy medium right now where we're trying to course correct some of the sins of the past. At the same time, we realize that, it's not a utopia, everyone sort of piled in on top of each other living in a city, no matter how good or how mm-hmm. economic the public transit system is. You know, I think we're, we're not designed to all live on top of each other as, as convenient as it might sound and seem sometimes. Unless you're um, bees or ants. Yeah, that's true. Queen bee. What, one thing you were maybe getting at before was our previous generation, you know, we talk about the distinctions between this phenomenon versus the early 80s phenomenon of our parents moving to the suburbs, right? I think then it was really about crime and people fleeing the cities because there was urban decay. You know, there was crime, there was drugs. Yeah. Um, this time around, it's almost the opposite. It is the it's the ultra wealthy that are that are eating up uh, the the urban centers, right? It's yeah. it's almost the opposite of that, and because of that, this you know I think when I asked you before, I, you know I asked you before when we were putting the notes together, I was like, Chaz, is this is this is this just another version of white flight? Yeah, and you were saying like, no, this is actually very very different. It's a lo- it's more nuanced than that. Yeah, look, I, I think it is more nuanced than that. I, I think you know the the i guess the drivers behind a movement out to the suburbs and uh, you know the cities now are the place to be and they, back, back in in days of yore they didn't necessarily feel that way so in a way it was perhaps a um a, i guess a move to like it was a barometer of progress in your life to move out but now the barometer mm-hmm. of progress is necessarily maybe to move into the city where it is sort of more expensive it is more sort of happening so i, I do think like this sort of the move back out is is more about quality of life as opposed to you know checking the box of different stages of life sure that makes sense um okay so two you know, patron. the saints. so in, in this case for us it is more patron places so you know chaz you got here we got new jersey we got new jersey we got hoboken we got maplewood we got summit in new york we got yonkers and new rochelle we've got uh whoop whoop in illinois evanston my birthplace plainsfield or sorry plainfield forest park oak park there's a lot you know arlington heights there's a there's a ton of uh suburbs in the chicago greater chicago land area oh what else we got 
Jazz. Well, you know, Santa Clara is an interesting one. Ah. I remember like year, years ago, I, I think it had to be 20, maybe 2013, uh, I had to fly down uh, to meet with a client and um, everyone was like, ooh, you got to go to Santana Row. Um, and it was like that was, oh, this is, uh, I don't even know what the high fashion capital of Milan is, but it's like, oh, you got to go to the Champs-Élysées. You know, it was like, oh, Santana Row and Santa Ooh. Clara. Like uh -huh. they, they've clearly constructed this, you know, that's a heart of Silicon Valley. You've got a lot of, um, you know, uh, high-priced tech companies and high-priced tech workers working nearby and they yeah. wanted to create essentially like a Rodeo Drive in the middle of nowhere. And they did sort oh. of man, man, managed to manufacture that. It's quite charming. There is like a prototypical sort of chain that I can imagine would be in a lot of these hipsterbs, the yard house, you know, the sort of the the micro micro pub chain that has like a million and one beers. Yeah. It's a little more highbrow than, uh, you know, B-dubs, but it's uh -huh. still like, you know, it's still a chain. Um, you know, places in Oregon, places like Beaverton, uh, Florida, St. Petersburg, Washington, a place like, you know, Bainbridge Island. So yeah. these are sort of, if you go, and Bainbridge Island is a classic one because it's got this really cute little downtown. It's sort of, there's boutiques. It's a 35-minute uh, ferry ride from the heart of Seattle. So I think these places are just going to become uh, a lot more of a draw card. One of the quotes that uh, really jumped out to me was how this is different from the post-war boom the 1950s and 60s is that the growth is far more selective and it's limited ah, to yes. blessed by good weather and good jobs largely in the sun belt where they are growing more than twice as fast as the neighboring cities so this mm. that quote was from an article uh 2019 article in the wall street journal uh so i i think it, it does it is worth mentioning that this is not sort of i guess an even distribution like people aren't necessarily moving up to alaska to move to the suburbs in alaska unless you're you know big hunter or a fisherman or something um and you know they are sort of skewing more towards like i guess places with more pleasant weather so uh -huh. I, I do think that also makes sense because let's face you know I'm, I'm i'm 39 right i'm not ready to put myself out to pasture yet but i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty confident i don't want to be cold ever again in my life oh, oh i just i just don't want to so be cold right. You're so you know, right. Like I look, I love it. I, I've lived in Minnesota. I've lived in Michigan, and I, I don't, I, you know, I really enjoyed living both places. I'm just like, like, I, I too, I, I'm a child of, I'm a child of a Mediterranean climate. That's true. Like Perth is like San Diego, right? It, it's almost identical in climate to San Diego. So I'm just like, if if you've seen another, if if that is what your norm was to deviate from that and go to something that's a lot you know, tougher to live in and there's yeah. having snow. The snow's great. I love snow. But like if you, if you go, all right, I've got to go to the store and, oh, I better have my, what are they called, snow scrapers. I better have my right, the right boots on or I better have my hat and scarf. I better have my Midwest accent going on or North Dakota accent. Because, I mean, if you go to the Cheesecake Factory in Fargo and you sound like you're from California, they won't serve you. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, you cannot discriminate against people. Being God. <laughs> Sorry. This is this is uh, this is part of our social experiment. Uh, <laughs> when COVID's lifted, we're we are taking you, Chaz, to uh, Outback. You got to live adventurous. Get your honey Dijon chicken, <laughs> and then you get in an SUV and you drive on the beach. You got to hang out at the fire pit and wear your swimsuit. <laughs> 
And I have to shout out a few of my friends actually listen to this and accuse me of having an American accent. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I don't know if that's accurate. So I just want to go on record claiming that I don't think I have one. Seppo. Um, Seppo. Yeah, Seppo. there you go. <laughs> but I don't guess. Uh, no, it's and and I think the Cheesecake Factory would would gladly give you uh, service, maybe give you a free meal since we've given them such a shout out today. Uh, yeah, we'll, it's quite we'll a plug. We'll find out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Beaverton. That looks that sounds fun. Just be just be in Beaverton. That I think brought to you by just be in Beaverton, the Beaverton tourist. No, I'm just kidding. Bureau, um, <laughs> bureau. Uh, let's move on to Sonic Embodiments. Yeah, well, what's your take on this? Well, the first thing that came to my mind was this guy named Ben Rector. He's been around for a while. He's about our age, maybe a little younger. He's got this song called Drive on a relatively recent album. Uh, I've seen him live. You know, he, th this song really describes, I think lyrically, it touches on this idea of just getting, like leaving the city and going somewhere else and starting a new chapter. Uh, that's one interpretation of the song. And that's the way I interpret it. You know, he's, he's kind of that nice, he's kind of like our adult contemporary. He's kind of like the Bruce Hornsby of millennials, I would mm. say. <laughs> you know, he I would roll him in with like a John Mayer, Jason Mraz, maybe even a little, uh, even like a Matt Carney, which I love. I love that guy. His music's awesome. But, you know, it's it's more just kind of adult sensitivity, um, adult contemporary kind of stuff. But anyway, he's got this song called Drive. 3.2 from the driveway of my house. You had another one here that that I absolutely love. Well, I was going to say Rock in the Suburbs by Ben Folds, which is kind of a tongue-in-cheek song. It's kind of the obvious choice. Rock in the Suburbs. I mean, it's great. You know, ben, ben actually lived in Adelaide in Australia for a while. Two Bens. Yeah, there you go. I'm rocking the suburbs. You're just like Michael Jackson did. I'm rocking the suburbs. You said that he was talented. And then, um, oh, yeah, the, ben, yeah, the song I really want to choose. I don't know why. Yeah. I think you know, earlier we were talking about Mumford and Sons. I think that song, Stubborn Love by the Lumineers, there is something about uh, it is sort of melancholic, it is sort of somewhat reflective of like a, 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 love, a yeah. love story and a, you know, a love sort of manifest. Mm. It almost feels like a story. Uh, like as a precursor to couple ending up together. So uh, it just, I that reminds me of what this move can be. It's like these people are moving to the suburbs, but guess what? They're not stiffs uh, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. wear pleated pants and go and work at a cubicle farm. Um, mm -hmm. They're actually still kind of hip, young, cool cats. I'm rocking the set. Yeah, it's kind of a, such a great song. What was that, like 1990? I looked it up. I think it's 2001. Eight. Whoa. Yeah, let's have a look. Hang on. I was off. 
Right Everything's the... happy underground. Yeah, that's a little earlier. Yeah, that's right. That's ninety-five-ish. Oh, yeah, that's a great song. Rock in the suburbs. Yeah. A... Oh, wow. Released September 11, thousand and one. Oh, bad choice, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. Well, we wanted to get Ben on, but he just said, "Who?" <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh, oh, I would also say, oh man, it, it's more about just suburbs in general, but it, it's one of my favorite songs of all time, of all time. Mm. Subdivisions. Oh, there we go. Uh, it was my, it was my hype up song during like my pregame for hockey. It was a song I would always play to, uh, on my little practice pad kit in high school. And it's about Rush has such great lyrics. You know, they're all written by Neil Peart, R.I.P. Uh, their their drummer. And subdivisions is a. It's about uses this word subdivisions. You know, we think of subdivisions as in like you know suburban neighborhoods, but then it's also social class things divided. And so he uses this mechanism, the subdivisions as a as a as kind of a mechanism to talk about that in a bunch of different ways. But it's such a great song. It came on like I'm gonna say eighty two, eighty three, something mm-hmm. like that. I just absolutely love that song. So those are our sonic embodiments. Lovely. So have we got any other questions for today? We have, let's see. We got some questions. Let's see what we got here. Oh, okay. LOL underscore Lolly Tat 1987 says, Hey guys, bring back here to stay or gone tomorrow. Okay, so to that end, Hipsterbia, here to stay or gone tomorrow, Chaz? You touched on it earlier. I think the, I think the pendulum will swing back and forth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, right now it seems to be having a moment. I'm sure in five to ten years it might be seen as, oh, what, suburbs? No, I want right. to be where the action is in the city. So right. it's hard to know, but I do think there are certainly some forces namely you know the remote work is a big one namely yeah. the um the lack of access from you yeah. know uh, the price prohibitiveness of these expensive cities that people are going to want to stay in sort of nicer kind of suburbs so i think yeah. it's here to stay here to stay so lol underscore lolly tat 1987 uh your friends here at the furious curious brit and chaz think it is here to stay uh, at us if you disagree and substantiate your claim. <laughs> I've, I've got one question. Uh, oh, just, in, um, just, just hot off, hot off the press. Yeah. Hot, hot off got? the press. Um, Hams and Culver's is delightful. <sighs> oh, and they've said, Brit, have you ever recorded a pod and uh-huh. forgot to press record as you're doing it? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think so recently. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Kind of recently, know. as in today. <laughs> yes. Chaz is and and Hammond wh- whoever is uh there referring to yes, referring <laughs> to my lack of uh recording being able to press the record button and recording an entire session, straight fire, <laughs> magic that gets un unrecreatable uh yeah so anyway. i want to i want to go into bat for you on this because uh, first of all i wasn't remote i did not care like i'm, I'm to be honest i'm surprised it hasn't happened yet just because <laughs> like, no, no, I'm serious. like totally because 
Because I saw Bill Simmons, he does this like once a month, I think. <laughs> like in Wait, the age of to record. Yeah, he talked about it the other day. He said, I'm averaging about once a month. Because, <laughs> you know, he does pods. He And this is a quote directly from the not self-proclaimed, people have, self, you know, people have given him this title, the pod father. Right, so the fact that it hasn't happened thus far, I would not feel bad about it. Uh, you know, you, you're you're doing you're doing a stellar job uh, as usual. So, uh, thank you, sir. Don't ever feel, don't ever think I cared for even. I, I did not care for one second. Like I, I thought it was a gag. That's that's all. I'm like, oh, I'm like, let's go again. <laughs> we are seasoned professionals here at the Furious. We are Furious. seasoned. Yes, we can replicate the magic. <laughs> One more time with feeling. Go. Um, <laughs> no, I think... Uh, so we have another one here. JPEG 2000 Johnny 02 says, Chaz, what hipsterb would you move to if you left San Francisco? Only, only, I only say this because I know it. I'd say Bainbridge Island, Washington. What about you, I, Brett? I always had you for a Mobile, Alabama kind of guy. Look, in many respects, it is sweet and it is my home. So I, I would not <laughs> rule that out at a later date. But for the moment, um, I, I, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. So, <laughs> you know, there's that song, Englishman in New York, right? Oh, yeah, Sting. Right. So there's there's got to be the song, An Aussie in Mobile, somewhere. Uh, for me, I would go back to my, uh, I would, uh, there, there's this little town and it's a suburb, but it's kind of a small town. It's almost like that kind of sweet spot. It's called Mount Horeb. It's in Wisconsin. It's a suburb of Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I love it. I've got some good friends there. Um, I have some fond memories of being in a band and rehearsing there. I would actually move there, find a place there. I think real estate has gone off the charts there you know as we've as we talked about this trend these trends are real and they reflect they're starting to reflect themselves uh in real estate prices in places like that um but that's where i would go i would live uh in mount horeb wisconsin build a little a-frame just maybe uh nestled into the little uh, little foothill something I, like I that googled it my friend it, it claims to be a village in dane county mount horeb is a village it's a village it takes a village. It, it does Chad. take one, from what I understand. I like the the main opera, whatever this building is. The uh, what's it called? Look it up. The Mount Horeb Opera Block. Oh yeah, Street. yeah. Wow. They got ten years on everybody. They got a sweet little place, and I'm gonna do a little plug um, called the Grumpy Troll. Ooh, sign me up. Oh, it's a great. They make they brew their own beer. It's really awesome. It's a cool spot. They have some sort of relationship with trolls, like Mount Horbin trolls. I never made that connection. Add us if if the, if you guys, anybody out there, can can close the gap on that with us. Um, just add us on Instagram. Well, that is Hipsterbia. That's Chaz. This is Britt. Uh, you are listening to the Furious Curious, hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice, and my esteemed urban dwelling colleague, Charlie Quirk. Here, both of us in San Francisco, California, for now. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore furious underscore curious and on Twitter at the FRSCRS. We welcome your comments, insults, constructive feedback, and suggestions on which hipsterb we should move to. Yeah. Anyway, uh, until next time, stay curious. Out.
Before we know it, Chris Christie's going to be listening to this episode. Uh, oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you can cut that one out. <laughs> oh, that's funny.